What's up everyone? Welcome to the show. Today it is Physio Monday. We've got our resident physiotherapist, Paul White here, and we're going to be answering your questions, talking uh, myofascial stretching, if it's even a thing, uh, talking about meniscuses, and a whole bunch of other injuries. Uh, so stick around. Good to be back. It's Monday Morning Tribe. I've got, obviously, Phil White here. we got Rad across the table and Richie, the voice of God, behind the microphone. We are Unity Gym and the Unify Movement System. Remember, guys, if you're a first-timer on the podcast, then uh, make sure you download our blueprints for strength, flexibility, and nutrition. It's uh, really just a collaboration of the biggest lessons we've learned, experienced, uh, as we navigate this thing called the health and fitness industry. Uh, how is everyone today? Good. Just on the blueprints, I um, always put it, I put the links to the blueprints in the podcast um, kind of distribution service. But I do know that in most of the um, kind of platforms you use, the links show up, and then in some it just comes up as plain text, and so you can't actually get them. So depending on um, if you're one, if you click, if you can't click the link, make sure you do. Um, find them in another way. So what's the best way to find them? Um, website, scottyunitygym.com yeah, yeah. and uh, scroll down on the home page. You'll get about halfway down and you'll see a link for all three of the um, of the blueprints. Grab them there. Yeah, there you go. Perfect. Does, anybody, does everyone else have um, uh, subtitles coming up in the screen or is that just Subtitles, me? really? Ooh. Nope, that's... Subtitles for talking, for yeah. us talking. Yeah. No, the future is now though. Look at that. Wow. Are they accurate? Oh, it's, I'm not going to read that. It, it's yeah, that's distracting. That can be very distracting. <laughs> um, but yeah, happy to, happy to be doing another Physio Monday. It's been, I think we've had two weeks where other things have come up. Like we had that excellent interview with um, Tom DeCanto, the um, elite runner, talking all things getting into running. So that was great. Um, and we also had another week where it was waylaid. So we have a bit of a back catalogue of questions to get through. So make sure um, if you are listening live that you get your questions in early. But otherwise, we're going to have a... Um, uh, talk through Paul Cowan's question, Dylan, um, Becca Perry's, Clay Brenda, and um, Sam Dyer's question. So we've got a few in the pipeline here ready to go. But yeah, if you do And And um, Yanni, if you click on the uh, settings wheel in the bottom right and then turn off auto-generated captions, that'll uh, fix it for you. Oh, there you go. I can't yeah. believe that, like, you think of how fast technology is evolving oh, and we get... There's so much new stuff that comes out every year that so many of the inventions just get lost. Can you believe that we're living in a day and age where the, the technology just uh, can pick up your voice and immediately generate captions for us? Like, it was only a few years ago that you used yeah. to have to pay people to um, dictate for you, you know? Like yeah. you used to have to pay a human being to do it. Mental. The future is now. 100%. I actually, on that topic, had a, an email from a gentleman who had bought one of our 18-minute uh, our stretching routine who is... Uh, deaf and uh, was asking if we provide the programs with captions. We don't just yet because it's still extremely expensive to do so. Uh, to do a full program like that would cost a lot of money. So until it's doing it automatically like this, then unfortunately, yeah, we just have yeah. to. Right. Sorry about that, guys. What we can do, yeah. Anyway, um, let's um, dive yeah, let's into, get into the first it. So question. the first question I'm going to get to is um, Dylan Hoofs. Detler, um, who asked a question a little while ago about a wrist injury that he had in 2010 or 2011. Um, and he says it's going to hurt time to time and is assuming that it, it may be getting sprained. So I think this one's a really good one to talk about because wrists are a really common thing for people in the uh, UMS, especially if you haven't done any kind of calisthenics body weight 
um, pen for. Yanni, you've got something to say. I do. Very importantly, before we get started, I just want to say, if you're wondering, if you're listening to the podcast or if you are watching the replay on YouTube, if you're wondering where we're getting these questions from, these are coming through in our UMS Movement Mastermind private Facebook group. If you haven't already, jump over there and apply to join the group. It's free. Everyone's welcome. You just have to agree to abide by the code of conduct. And it's yeah. actually not a private Facebook group. It's actually a public Facebook oh, group. Oh, really? Is it? Yes. Yeah, the okay, UMS yeah. Online Coaching Group and the Unity Gym Tribe are private oh, Facebook groups. This okay, is a public yeah. one. Yeah, and when you are in there, make sure when you do have questions around injuries that you do tag me in it. So that's Phil White. Uh, yep. That makes it much easier to find them mm -hmm. later. So yeah, this wrist question is really great because we get it all the time, um, and it's something that's kind of you know led to wrist prep being inbuilt as part of um, yeah the UMS program because it the wrists are often going to be the um, you know weakest chain link <laughs> in um, in the chain. Uh, and will often be the thing that limits your progression forward. So um, getting your wrist right and taking the time to condition your wrist to calisthenics when you're starting out um, and, and just general trim, gym training is so important. So what he said is, um, yeah, so I had that injury uh, potentially nine or 10 years ago. Um, uh, not even sure if it'd be necessary, but the pain um, is near the thumb. Uh, what should I do to prevent pain in the future? Would strengthening my forearms and grip help along with working on flexibility and mobility? Um, Thanks in advance. Um, so with the pain being around your thumb, it's a, it's an even more common thing uh, in today's society with the amount of time we spend um, using our thumbs on the phones. phones then maybe if you're in, you know, play some computer games as well um, with a joystick, it's just a really tough thing for thumbs that... Uh, <laughs> Gamers, mate. Yeah, tough, I mean, it's a tough gig. But like te texting, <laughs> texting thumb is a, is no joke. Like it's it's a real thing that people are. <laughs> yeah, really. Um, yeah, getting quite crippled oh, by. It's so we, funny, isn't it? Sign of the times again, huh? Yeah, but you know, it's totally understandable. We have these course, like, crazy yeah, yeah, yeah. magical rectangles in our pocket where we can access anyone and any bit of information in the world. So I can tell you know, it's <laughs> understandable that we do um, get it. But yeah, with thumb pain, if it is in the thumb joint itself, then that um, could be uh, if like just kind of a, a pain from um, using your thumb with texting. But if it is kind of more up into the wrist and you, it's a same wrist pain you sort of had since 10, 2010 or 2011, um, which may have come around from landing with your arm outstretched, which is what my kind of wrist pain came from. Around Just near your thumb is a bone called dyscaphoid. And often when you fall with your um, arm outstretched and um, brace yourself, uh, you can do some scaphoid damage. And so uh, the scaphoids, um, a tricky muscle because it has like very little blood supply and so they're really careful when they're scanning it to make sure um, that it's um, basically like if you injure it really badly and you don't get it um, dealt with it can actually die it's like uh, yeah, right. um, I think that was one of the questions that came up in um, in the online coaching or UMS mastermind the guy who had like the the surgery to sort of it replaced his scaphoid almost, but I'm not saying this happened to you, Dylan, but it's one of those, um, uh, yeah, it, it, it's a really tricky bone. And uh, like when I did the injury, it didn't, um, the bone didn't die itself, but it, it has messed with me for years and years afterwards. And it's really limited um, my so, extension. So what, when you say mess with you, is it just that the bone is inflamed? Like a uh, it's a pain signal or? Yeah, it's, it seems to be kind of like, it, it's just sort of shift with the bone, with the hands. I think it's like 28 different bones in your hand and wrist. Okay. So there's just a lot of stuff going on in there that has to kind of all work together nicely. And when you've had a traumatic injury, sometimes it, things can just get a bit out of whack and heal in a certain way that just um, never get 
quite right. And so I've had like a recurring ganglion, which is like an, um, kind of a thickening of the tendon in the spot just through my wrist after that. Ever since then, my wrist has just never been um, quite the same. So it really limits me with um, doing sort of handstand work because no matter how much sort of wrist prep I get, I just can't get into a loaded extension without really flaring up my wrists. Yep. Um, you know, I haven't taken it to the extreme of rehabbing this stuff because my goals are not around calisthenics. So I haven't waylaid all of my other training to focus on this entirely. But yep. um, yeah, it's a really tricky thing. And so I get around it because my goals aren't necessarily around calisthenics. Is, is if I want to do any training like that, then I'll use, um, you know, push-ups on my fists or using stall bars or um, small hex dumbbells to be my point of contact. So that way, instead of being in an extended weight-bearing position with your wrist, you can be in a, a, a neutral weight-bearing. That's often a whole lot more comfortable for people with wrist pain. Yep. Um, your question's about what um, you were suggesting, maybe strengthening the forearm and grip um, is 100% spot on. Um, so again, with whenever you have a joint, if you think about like, what is involved in the joint. You've got lots and lots of bones, um, some cartilage and some ligaments. And then the things that can actually control that joint is the muscles. So if you can be strengthening the muscles of your forearm, they actually do cross your wrist and into your hand and they'll provide really good active um, stability. Now, when it comes to flexibility and mobility, um, that's where it can get a, bit, get a bit tricky because with flexibility and mobility, often you're pushing past the um, into end ranges where now your passive structures, so your ligaments, your um, cartilage and your bones become the limiting factor and that is good if it's not aggravating, but if you um, kind of push it too hard, that can really flare things up. So with all this sort of stuff, it's all about like gradual exposure and yep. find that kind of, um, yeah, point that you can manage what you want to do. While I've found the best way to develop flexibility and mobility in the wrist by a country mile is through the strengthening exercises that we mm. do um, anyway. One of the things that I did for a decade in my earlier years when I really didn't know anything about what I know now, but um, you know, in, in Kung Fu, you have to do these positions with your hands. And that was something that I had to work on heaps. Like most people really struggle to be able to pull their hand into extension like that. But by doing these isometric holds where you're actively pulling back and trying to straighten your elbows, the way that that gave me exposure to that end range with a well, no impact, you know, no external pressure on it. Um, that worked. That worked for me to create a little bit of um, earlier on stages of strength, and then going into what we do, where you do all the strengthening movements. Um, yeah, I found uh, created really good mobility. Look, it's not just us. Uh, we've all we've all found that, and still one of the most highest ranked, highest watched videos, which is the bane of my existence uh, because it's very outdated content, is the original golfer's elbow video that we created uh, on the fly many years ago, which was really just using our um, wrist routine and then showing people how to progress into heavy lifting, de um, things like deadlifts, row, rowing, pulling, exercise uh, patterns, uh, chin-ups, things like that as a progressive overload um, uh, mechanism. And uh, I, it still shocks me at how many comments we get. I'm, I'm talking thousands of comments of people saying this routine has changed my life. I had, and it's not a, it's not a golfer's elbow r routine, really. You know, like it's it, it's not a tendinopathy. Um, there wasn't a lot of science that went into it. It was just like this worked for us. Try it. See how you go. And people find that it works. And it's yeah. really just a, it's just because it's just loading the joints and slowly building up the 
range of movement that you're loading them in and um, as long as you do that in a progressive way it usually works quite well you know um, for, for the layman though you most people don't understand how to strengthen a joint like understand the concepts of you know like for the wrist like which movements you do need to do to actually strengthen it I mean even as a personal trainer it took me years maybe decade not decades but a decade to learn the kind of stuff that we now put into our program and take for granted that we know so if you're just somebody that's trolling the internet um, I can really understand that if you came across our routines that we teach that it would seem like a revelation to you um, because it probably is for a lot of people probably is a revelation for sure. So Dylan, um, yeah, get uh, my recommendation would be um, start doing the rest prep. And this is one of those things where because it's fairly low level, you can do it every day for a while, just really try and slowly bring things up and then consider maybe doing like a heavier um, wrist prep, um, like wrist strengthening work, like the forearm um, program these guys have put together um, on your upper body days. So uh, Mondays and Thursdays, if you're following what we do in the gym um, and mm. So, you know, you're doing like the general exposure conditioning every day, but then um, targeted strengthening, um, yeah, twice a week. And then uh, if it's kind of getting to the point where like, no matter how like gradually you try and bring things up and it's still painful, have a go at, um, you know, like using the um, stall bars or hex dumbbells or something on the floor where you can be in that strong neutral position and see how you go with like building up strength in that very neutral range and then, um, yeah. and then build out from there. And if you can't get past it, um, then maybe reassess like if your goals are doing uh, like back bridges, then maybe that's just not going to be um, a great option for you. But definitely keep doing your upper body training. Definitely keep like pursuing calisthenics, but just do it with a different grip. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Don't be a movement, yeah, movement yeah. purist about it. Just yeah, um, that's keep, right. keep training. <laughs> you've got to. You've got to. You know, at some point, you've got to take into consideration the 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 history that your body has, yeah. <laughs> and a lot of us. Uh, you know, I, I like to always say never give up on a good thing, but you, you know, you got to uh, w learn to be able to work around it and learn to be able to identify and understand what might be a limitation for you. And uh, we're blessed with being able to bounce ideas off each other when we're training here. So it's nice to surround yourself with a, a good circle of influence. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I yeah. and, and one thing I will say with the wrist prep stuff that we do here in the program, I slacked off it this year. Uh, it's one of the many things that I sort of allowed to... Uh, uh, I guess um, become a, a, a shelved priority and I've recently started doing a little bit of boxing again and uh, hitting the bag my wrists were really weak they weren't used to the the weight that I've got behind my body now and the strength and I, I hurt my wrist quite quickly and yeah I've reintroduced the wrist prep stuff again and and they're coming um, good really quickly again it's just surprising how quickly you lose it when you don't use it you oh, know? yeah yeah. Um, so just one kind of uh, point that I uh, always have to say on these on these shows is just remember this is his general kind of advice around injuries and what kind of questions you should be asking the people you're working with professionally. Um, and again, with things that have been hanging around for 10 years, <coughs> I imagine you would have had it looked at by now. But if you haven't, you know, it could be worth having uh, things looked at by a professional and um, yeah, ask. yeah. And just hopefully this will kind of give you a good framework Look, to think I, about it. I am. Um I, I'm a part of, and I, I want to say this because it's on wrists, and, and I was just really quite concerned with a lot of the, the feedback and, and uh, suggestions that were made, but I was in, um, a, a post caught my eye in, in the muscle intelligence um, group, in, ben, in Ben's group, 
I'm part of. And uh, someone said, okay, friends, how do I deal with golfer's elbow? I've had it for a month now and it's just getting worse. And uh, any any advice would be appreciated. And I haven't seen Ben comment yet. Um, it came in over the weekend. But some of the f comments in there were uh, just were, were clearly indicated that there, that there is a lot of misunderstanding about how to treat injuries, you know, like... Uh, from from people saying eat more um, sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes have an anti-inflammatory, you know, <laughs> not an inflammatory condition. Well, this is what um. I was saying, and and the and the the po the comment that got the most praise that was spot on was from someone calling themselves a physiotherapist saying anti if it's if it's ha if it's only been around for a month a cortisone injection anti-inflammatories and rest until the pain um, subsides and well, i was like that is as far from the yeah. best strategy possible I, and that was from the physiotherapist and it had 80 likes oh, you know geez. i was like whoa these guys have no clue what they're doing so um it is clear yeah they you know you got to surround yourself with the right people ask the right people yep. you know and do see a professional, and, and I do recommend if you do have hand or wrist things or foot things, <coughs> see hand therapist or foot no, or podiatrist yep. because you want to work with people who really know that Understand area. Yep. But we must charge on. We have yep. plenty of questions to get through. Um, so, um, Sam Dyer. Yeah, we'll get to um, Paul Cowan just quickly. Um, and he says, I have started the knee rehab program. I damaged my meniscus about 10 months ago and had uh, another operation for a previous tear about 15 years ago. <laughs> I find the exercise on phase one pretty easy, except for the low um, side step up where the knee can almost give way at quite a low weight. It also makes a clicking noise as I raise up and down. Um, I don't feel any um, other exercise are giving me that much trouble. Um, should I, could I incorporate different exercises like the low side step up? Um, and so, oh, hang on, you've actually answered. I, I asked him if he knows, like, if yeah. there's any more info he can give us on the type of tear, because meniscus yeah. tear, there's a lot of different ones, and you almost have to approach them a little bit differently. Um, it, you know, if you've got a really bad flap tear, uh, then, honestly, I don't recommend bending your knee past 90 degrees, because there's so much chance that you can aggravate it, and you can still do so much with a 90-degree knee flexion. Like, yeah. there are times when I would say, okay, you're not trying to get your knee into full flexion anymore. You're just trying to build strength in the global muscles and keep it moving a little bit, you know? Yeah, 100%. So with yeah, meniscus injuries, so for people who don't know what a meniscus is, it's the cartilage in between um, your knee. So it kind of acts as a bit of a shock absorber and helps kind of the like shape and size of, um, of the point of contact between the bones and the joint. Um, it's one that really freaks people out because it has like a bit of a fancy name. And then when people hear they have meniscus damage, it sounds like the end of the world. Um, but really, like the, it's just one kind of part of the overall knee system, and your, like your, when you see scans of knees and there's a, a, a closing down of the joint space, it's been pretty amazing to see the, like research into this in the last like <coughs> five years has been has really showed that like the amount of meniscus sort of damage over time doesn't really correlate with pain or function at all. So just because if there is some damage there, um, don't freak out. The one time when you, it is a really good idea to get an operation is when you get something like a flap tear where you actually get locking um, of the knee, which is basically when you try and bend your knee, it kind of gets stuck in a point where, um, as the name suggests, the flap um, kind of gets stuck and, and, and closes down space. But um, with- Which um, you usually know about because it's generally very painful. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly right. And so with, um, I, I really like what you said there about, um, you know, training, strengthening within your available range um, is a, a great idea because especially in this in this group and, and you know, I know Rad loves an Astrograss 
uh, squat and encourages everyone to do it because it's a great way of expressing um, strength through a full range of motion. But there are um, certain times where, yeah, you've got to try and put your, like, um, I don't know, movement purist uh, hat aside and take on the, you know, building up, um, keeping involved in an exercise that's going to be helpful for you. So it's something that I have. I've got a, almost certainly got a meniscus um, injury that I just have never got scanned because I know that won't really change what I'm doing. But basically, I'm, uh, I'm squatting to 90 degrees now and I'm able to, um, yeah, kind of be fine with that and it, I'm able to build up strength, squat over 100 kilos and, you know, play beach volleyball and everything's fine, but it just means that, like, certain positions like that um, flexion, end range flexion really are aggravating. Um, and so the low side step up, so that's the, um, on the, yep. the step and just doing the... Yep. Um, so you usually start at a six inch height yep. and then you slowly work up from there. But e there's times like Tony Bataji, um used to boast that he had rehabbed a prof professional downhill skier. One of his clients was a, a gold medalist um, downhill skier who blew both her knees out in competition really badly. Like um, um, it was like a double knee dislocation and mm. it was horrible, big, big damage to the meniscus. And he ha he got her fully functioning and competing again over the period of about six to 12 months. And he, he said she was in such bad shape that they started doing step ups, knee activation step ups on a 20 kilo weight plate mm. on the floor. Like it was literally two inches off yeah. the height, you know, and then slowly progressed her to higher, 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 slowly got her bending the knee more, 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 but she never squat past 90 degree knee flexion after that point. And she didn't need to for her sport because she yeah. was a downhill skier. You know, it's not essential to be get hitting that depth. It's good if you can do it 100% because then you're ready for it if you go there skiing. But um, he said with, with the right progressive overload using um, step ups and really shelving the ego, you can build phenomenal strength back into yeah. the legs. And why, and why um, side step ups are so good is it, it really tackles the like hip complex as well. So the knee is, you got to remember a, a, a complex <coughs> hinge joint in between what's happening at your f um, feet and what's happening at your hips. So the amount of strength and stability you have at your ankles and the amount of strength and stability you have at your hips is going to massively impact what's happening at your knee. Because you can imagine if you've got kind of two mo moving points at the top and the bottom, whenever you take a step or whenever you, you know, try and squat, if your ankles and knee are um, ankles and hips are like got a lot of excess movement then your knee is going to be um, having to basically deal with that um, yeah. in the middle and that is not um, a happy place for the passive structures that are trying to um, you know cushion um, yep. that end range movement but if you have really strong hips and really strong ankles that are also very stable um, it means that your knee now has to do very little in the way of um, I guess stability and now can just um, hinge appropriately so uh, the side step ups are really good uh, if it it is kind of a bit weak for you at the moment it's probably a good sign that that's what you need to do even even more of but just take a real progressive overload yeah. approach now oh, hang on can yeah, I yeah, throw something in here so I want to talk just quickly about what Phil just said there about the ankle and the hip playing such a critical role in the knee. Um, I have successfully rehabilitated a flap tear on my meniscus. I had what's called a non-displaced flap tear, which means there was a flap tear, but it hadn't displaced, so it hadn't pulled out to the side, like what Phil said, so it wasn't causing or me. Or just flat back or on just itself, flat which back. is so what commonly happens. Yeah. So it was sitting in the place that it should sit, but it was torn. And it caused me a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. And I, my legs, are by a country mile the most capable part of my body. I'm flexible, strong, and capable of, of quite great feats of strength. But what I did, the, 
the rehab approach, which was I had to work with Leroy because you were doing your placement back then, so I didn't have access to Phil, but I worked with Leroy, who was um, who's an amazing physiotherapist. And he got me not bending past 120 degrees of knee flexion to start with. And then I gradually increased from there. And he explained to me why. And it was around what you said. He said, look, you've got to understand the role that the ankle and the hip plays. And he said, yeah, you can go past that, but you might not be doing it in a way that is really developing optimal movement patterns and it's training the muscles on how to work properly. So you might be feeling like, oh, these exercises aren't, um, aren't challenging me, but I'm looking at the program right now at what you've got here and you've got low side step ups, lying hamstring activation, standing straight knee calf raises, seated calf raise, quarter range box goblet squats, which I can, I can understand might seem like nothing to you. Uh, and then the single leg balance drill. Now, all of those exercises are designed to be very, very low risk to give you muscle activation because it's called the muscle activation phase. So if you feel like you don't get much from it, do it for only two to three weeks. Some people only need to be in a muscle activation phase for a couple of weeks and then move on to phase two, where we go from quarter range goblet squats to half range goblet squats and to split squats and a bunch of other things. So don't get caught up in the, should I not do these exercises? Just do them for a short period of time yeah. and then and, progress. And use movement quality as the kind of sign yeah. of whether you can progress. Like if you're yeah. doing it straight off the bat, really well controlled, and if you're not sure, um, post videos and we can help you out. Yeah. Um, then yeah move on but if you are just like oh this feels easy and light but then meanwhile yeah the movement quality is bad and, th and that's what i was going to finish off with saying is i think what a, where a lot of people go wrong with um rehabilitation or regression as, as phil likes to call it is that they don't understand the importance of developing good quality movement patterns and when you have a, a traumatic injury your body creates suboptimal movement patterns to protect that joint quite often and that's what you're working around you're working you're working to recreate the good movement patterns so that you move forward without putting excessive strain on the on the joint there's two things that i want to dial really deep on on this because i think there's a lot of value we can give everyone here first and foremost i want to address the fact that uh this is not the first time something's happened to paul's knee he's yep. even saying in the comment here 10 months ago i had uh, an operation for a previous tear about 15 years ago. There is something going on here where there's, 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 there's obviously a lot of room for strength development and, and better movement pattern development. Otherwise the knees, unless you're just absolutely careless with your body, which I seriously doubt, uh, that, the, you know, there's dysfunction occurring here. And, um, it, you know, uh, I would just just embrace the process, brother. Like I know it's hard. We're used to smashing ourselves. We're used to training at a high intensity, but there are times when you need to just scale it back and embrace the process and go, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to let the let the um, the thing play out properly, and I'm not going to rush it because based on what you're saying here in your comment there's a lot that we can read into here but it looks it just comes across to me yeah. like you're the type I mean, of guy that doesn't like to slow down and give yourself yeah, a little he bit he said that later on but also yeah he said you know he's done a classic sort of um had an mri scan and and talked through all the different things which part. is the tricompartmental yep. um, arthritic changes uh, lateral full thickness articular deficits and subchondral changes and baker cysts and meniscal tears like all those things sound really sca scary and full on, but what it means is basically you have a dysfunctional system yeah. in your knee. Yeah. And all of those things that you're talking about there are all the passive structures that have to take up the slack when your active structures aren't Absolutely. supporting well. So Nine, nine um, times out of 10, a baker's cyst indicates that the hamstrings are just not doing their job properly and they're super weak. Um, there's, there's like so much here that's just 
exactly what you've just like said. It, it it's sounds just, all very scary and very specific, but what it actually means is that yeah, your yeah. your passive structures are getting overloaded because your active structures yeah. aren't uh, supporting well, and, and the system isn't working well. And you got to remember the system for the knee is the hip and the ankle as well. So yeah. if you're having a lot of struggle on this hip ex um, hip kind of dominant exercise, then I'd really like double down on um, you know. Uh, that yeah. movement training and yeah. and then start building up strength 100%. through there. So. Now, the final thing I want to address here is that Paul and anyone else who's listening, if I read you the report of my knee, it would sound three times as bad as this. I still have a baker's cyst the size of a golf ball in the back of my right knee after having my knee reconstruction. Uh, it is... It, 100% does not mean that your knee is, is stuffed. You know, you, I don't even think about my knee anymore. I, I went for a, a walk on the weekend and carried my son on my shoulders for about six kilometres across the Harbour Bridge on Sunday morning. And I felt my knee a little bit and I felt my hip a little bit. And I was like, oh, geez, we might want to turn back because this, you know, I might struggle a little bit after a while. And that's just because I slowly build up. Um, but when I'm training and when I'm going for a run and things like that, yeah, it's a, it's a slight limitation for me, but it, it, it doesn't stop me. It doesn't stop me from doing anything. I just make like, sure that like I'm programming. Pause, to pause squat at 180 kilos. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly right. You know, so um, yeah, I want you to just make sure that you, we remind everyone that when you go and get an MRI, although it's a very important tool um, that we use in diagnosis, you are not your scan. You are not your MRI. You It often doesn't... Um, uh, indicate that you should be feeling a certain way or anything. You know, everyone, if they go get a scan, is this, they're going to find some sort of degeneration, bone degeneration, arthritis, all sorts of stuff, you know. So, um, yeah, just, just remember that. Uh, uh, to give you some context, last year or the year before, I think they, at the last Olympics, they did a little um, uh, study where they scanned the spines of quite a lot of athletes there were, I think it was like a thousand athletes or something like that and professional athletes that are training at the highest level and making it to the Olympics and Commonwealth Games every one of them had some form of bone and joint degeneration in the spine that most people would find really alarming and these guys are the best athletes in the world so yep morphological changes do not predict pain and function so there you go so we're at a at a time where we've got time we for one more quickly quick yeah thing? sam dyer, uh, dyer i'd like to get to um briefly so she's saying uh help with the trap nerve exclamation mark question mark um i have tendon off the in my foot due to a break and sprain several years ago i'm following the advice of the rehab podcast and slowly build out the strength good on you today i started the catch to 5k course but about uh but in about three quarters in an uh, in a nerve in the bottom of my foot got stuck and it hurt a lot um this has happened to me before just from walking what can i do to prevent such fix this the run did hurt my tendinopathy but i'll see how it feels tomorrow do i need to take it even slower um for the tendons and nerves to get better all right sam uh i would love to know what like how you know this is a trapped nerve because this is a thing that people like to um say a lot um and it's just a bit of a misnomer most of the time so basically like it's very unusual for nerves to get like trapped in one place. Um, what happens usually is that nerves can get sensitized and that you um, get nervy sort of responses from movements that are, um, uh, you know, n usually not painful. But the idea of a trap nerve is again, that use of language that really puts the wrong idea in people's heads and, and changes how they um, act and, and feel about their body. So I don't, don't love that term. Um, so 
you've said you've got tendinopathy here as well, which um, I love that, you know, you've been following along the podcast and you're, um, you, you know, it seems like you're taking a good gradual approach to exercise. But again, um, with tendinopathy, as we talked about the other day, sometimes people think that just because it's not a non-traumatic injury that therefore it's a tendinopathy. And again, that's not always the case. So do make sure that you are, um, you know, working with someone to clearly diagnose uh, the tendinopathy and also or this, this foot pain. And also if you do have nervy symptoms, that's a definite sign that it's a good idea to see a professional about it. Um, so with nerve symptoms, that's generally if you get tingling, numbness, uh, or weakness, or yeah, um, all yeah. So with numbness, like loss of sensation, um, and yeah, weakness, which in the foot might present itself as like a, a drop foot where you're clipping your, your toes more than usual. You're kind of tripping over a little bit here and there. So uh, if you do have any of those nervy symptoms, do make sure you do see someone. Um, it's very common in people who've also got diabetes um, because of the way that nerves can be damaged by um, uh, type 2 diabetes so uh, I'm not going to go too f far into the whole trap nerve thing because that's a whole another um, you know couple hours of podcast to talk about <laughs> um, but uh, I do recommend if you do have things that you think are nervy go see a podiatrist a good podiatrist about it someone who uses their feet someone who runs not someone who's just completely straight in orthotics yep. um, but I do love that you're taking the approach of the couch to 5k and um, generally yeah if you like if things are still getting aggravated, then um, reintroducing things maybe even slower is a good idea. But if you're not doing any foot strengthening for this tendinopathy, if it is a tendinopathy, make sure you're also doing uh, a strengthening approach. Because remember, tendinopathy is all about building up the capacity through um, strength and reintroduction of activities. Yeah. Um, there's been a question, uh, there's been a like comment here about um, rolling your feet um, with a lacrosse ball, again, fine for short-term pain management, does zero for um, building up capacity with um, tendinopathies and plantar heel pain. Yeah, so she's. Uh, I'm just reading further into this. Um, Blakely's asked what your feet look like and she's answered, I didn't have any problems until I broke my heel a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's it sounds to, like there seems like a lot going on in this foot and it seems like maybe, yeah, there's just a lot that hasn't really been dealt with well after... Um, a traumatic injury a while ago yeah. which can change the way you load bear and it ch just changes so much and I personally think she needs to I reckon you need to go and work on building some strength in the in the global muscles in the ankle in the calves in the quads in the hamstrings in the glutes um, you know I think maybe maybe that's something yeah. that and with, with like the when you think about a traumatic <laughs> injury like a, a broken heel like that could be a sign of um, a structural change that does impact the thing long term but what it usually means more so like the body's pretty good at healing what it usually is is that you then suddenly stop using the um the muscles around the foot and therefore they become a whole lot weaker and then just like we've talked about before with like yeah. when you have a reduction in capacity and then an abusive load then a tendinopathy comes on so yeah. um yeah or you try and reintroduce activities a bit too quick and then you can start getting weird aches and pains so um i like that you have definitely taken a a good little uh, um, progressive approach but again if you have no pain see something about it yeah this is the thing i mean look uh, you, you it's shocking how quickly you lose muscle strength when you injure yourself to such a degree that you can no longer load that area of the body. The moment you remove just the daily load of getting up and moving around, and I saw this firsthand, within five days I lost a staggering amount of muscle in my quadriceps and, and leg when I was all bandaged up after the knee reconstruction. 
and I was just sitting there watching the muscle disappear, you know, like it, the body just sort of goes, oh, well, I don't need this anymore. And so if you... So with atrophy, it's it, the muscle the muscle cells don't actually go away. What they do is shrink. Yeah, and so yeah. they're still there. And that's why when you do get back training, they bounce back real quick. But obviously, the longer you leave it, then the then they actually do start to break down yeah. the cells themselves. Yeah. So. And that's what I want to just quickly address. If you've injured yourself to a degree where you've broken your heel, the bone, and you've had to take time off to heal that bone, breaks are the, usually the, the slowest to recover. And you haven't gone and done some intentional strength training work to bring that leg, foot, um, everything back up to uh, its, its you know, desired level, then you, that needs to be prioritized now before you start a running program. That's, yep. my, that's my feedback. Yep, love it. Um, thanks for tuning in, guys. For the people who are on the live stream, you're sitting there, you're not asking any questions. Get on it, guys. Yeah, yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to be like an injury that you've had. It could be any, um, you mm -hmm. know, any kind of principle around rehab or anything you want. Now, very quickly, for anyone who's jumped on the UMS online coaching uh, flash sale, 14-day free trial, uh, we will get you all into the private Facebook group today. And I had a lot of requests over the weekend. Please understand we do close down over the weekend like most businesses. We don't run 24-7, 365 days a year um, because we all have families and that sort of thing. But uh, we'll get you in there because as of tomorrow, we're going to be doing a live stream every day to get you guys up to speed with where you need to be focusing your attention so we'll be doing this stream for only half an hour uh from uh 8 45 which is what we usually aim for, but yeah. and then we'll be going live into the private facebook group for the ums online coaching so make sure you have requested to join that group and we'll get you all set up ready to go and crushing it with that uh new UMS online coaching program. Welcome to everyone who's now part of that coaching group. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Take care. Health is about performance, not just body image. You better be willing to accept what you're gonna have to do to get there. We'll start focusing on movement goals, strength goals, flexibility goals. When you nail that skill, it's there forever. The body image goal doesn't get you that far. It's the consistency and frequency that's gonna get you there. It's not the intensity. There's no shortcuts to mastery and movement. Destination doesn't change overnight, but your direction will. The gym is not the place to beat up the body that you hate. It's the place to build the body that you love. We are the gym that teaches people how to move instead of just exercise because we believe that health is about performance, not just body image.